The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Hello again, and welcome to the seventh episode of The Window on the World. Today is Friday, 22nd of April, and in this podcast, you will find out more about the latest updates on the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, the French presidential elections, the resignation of the leader of the Delinke in Germany, and telephone espionage against Catalan politicians. And as always, we will present to you the best editorials and opinion pieces on the debate between the two candidates for the French presidency and the debate around climate change and green energy. And now, let's dive right into the most important news of the week. The first news of the day concerns the latest developments on the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. This week's news is that Russian armed forces would be focusing their efforts in the east of Ukraine in the Donbass region. The Donbass is a Russian-speaking region of Ukraine, where clashes between separatists supported by the Russian government and Ukrainian military have been going on since 2014. But let's now change the subject completely and talk about the French presidential election. This week saw the long-awaited debate between the two candidates who will compete in the runoff, current President Macron and challenger Le Pen. The second round, which will decide who will be the French president for the next five years, will be held on Sunday, April 24th. According to polls published by Le Figaro, Macron would be ahead with 56% of the preferences against Le Pen's 44%. We'll stay in continental Europe, but let's cross the border and go to Germany. The leader of the leftist party, The Linke, Susanna Hennig Welzo, has resigned. The choice was motivated not only by personal reasons, but also by allegations of sexual assault made against several party members. Among those accused, there is also party co-executive secretary Janine Whistler. I apologize to those affected, and I support all efforts to make the Linke a party where sexism has no place, said the now former party leader. Let's now cross the channel and go to the United Kingdom. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson apologized in Parliament for the fine he received following parties held during the lockdown. I didn't realize then or later that the gathering might constitute a breach of the rules. That was my mistake and I apologize unreservedly for it, Johnson said. The apology was not appreciated, either by the opposition or his own party. The former whip of the Conservative Party said Johnson was no longer worthy of the great office he holds. Now, back to Europe and to Spain, to talk about espionage against Catalan pro-independence politicians. According to research published by the Citizen Lab Center, the phones of 27 Catalan pro-independence politicians have been spied upon using Pegasus's spyware. Among the most notorious figures of the victims of the espionage, there are also the current Catalan president, Per Aragones, as well as former regional presidents, Kim Torra, Carles Puigdemont and Arthur Mas. We now move on to the first editorials of the day. We keep following the French presidential election. Let's read some of this week's reactions. The first editorial of the day comes from the Spanish publication El Diario. Columnist Marco Schwartz followed the debate closely and analyzed its form and content. According to Schwartz, Macron did not make major errors in his speeches, but was also much more effective dialectically. He notes, however, that there is still the question of the impact that his arrogant style may have on the public. Criticism that many have moved to the French president. On the other hand, Marine Le Pen has maintained a moderate attitude to present herself as a stateswoman ready to become a president. 
but it's when we move on to the content that according to Spanish journalist La Pen's mask falls. While she condemns the invasion of Ukraine, she doesn't want to cut off Russian gas imports and supported the annexation of Crimea seven years ago. If on the one hand she says she wants to keep France in the EU, on the other hand she says that Brussels should respect the choices of the different countries' societies. Which, for Schwartz, means not acting against governments that adopt homophobic and racist policies. Macron, the editorial concludes, has won the debate and will win the election. But the question is, by how much? From Spain we go to France and to the newspaper Le Figaro. Even for the journalist Vincent de Villiers, the winner of the debate was Macron. Emmanuel Macron has shown a clear superiority in the control of economic issues, notes the columnist. For his part, Marine Le Pen never managed to impose an obvious dominance to overturn the collective impression of Emmanuel Macron's legitimacy. From the debate, however, what was most noticeable, according to Davier, was the lack of a more unified vision for the future of France. Categorical measures have piled up and without ever developing into a vision that would order this large mess of proposals, writes the journalist. According to whom this risks alienating a large part of his fellow citizens. In the editorial's conclusion, the Viers has no doubt either that Macron will win, but notes that he will have the difficult task of reconciling the country. For the last comment of the day on the subject, let's go to Italy and turn to the newspaper La Repubblica. The pages of the Italian newspaper host the commentary of journalist Bernard Guetta. Guetta tries to imagine an eventual victory for Le Pen. I would have to feel ashamed because half of the French, of every social class, and every level of education now supports the extreme right. It is a resurrection because this extreme right has never stopped existing, maintains Guetta. A resurrection due to the fact that it had hidden itself in other political forces, the journalist argues, and we chose to ignore it. We must therefore stop pretending nothing happened and fight it openly. Against its return, all men eager for peace and freedom must mobilize, the columnist argues in closing. The second series of today's editorials will focus instead on climate change and the debate around renewable energy. We begin with the French newspaper Le Monde, which analyzes the absence of climate change from the debate during the French presidential election campaign. How do you explain the fact that the environment and climate have not entered the debate? is the question that, according to journalist Stéphane Foucault, has often been asked to candidates. According to a figure cited by Foucault, climate questions would have occupied only 5% of the time in interviews and debates conducted by the media at large. This absence has great effects on our collective perception of the real risks of ongoing climate change, argues the journalist. At the same time, however, although marginalized on the national political scene, Climate and the environment tend, on the contrary, to take root at the local level. This last fact, writes Foucault, would explain the victory of local ecological parties in past French local elections. It is as if, the columnist concludes, all room for maneuver now consists in trying to adapt to the inexorable, when change has arrived at one's own doorstep. As we have seen, climate change is a global problem, but also a local one. Let's now go to the pages of the British newspaper Financial Times to see how some companies are adapting to climate change. Using coal to generate energy has been called a deadly addiction by the Secretary General of the United Nations, points out journalist Helen Thomas. 
The journalist further explains how the Anglo-Swiss company Glencore has declared that 40% of its profits will come from the extraction and sale of coal. For Thomas, this is a demonstration of the fact that a lot of corporations are failing to realize the speed of the change of sentiment on the issue. It is therefore necessary to act also on individual companies and their investors, concludes the English journalist. Because if they want to keep companies in business, they should also be pressing each year to be sure of a speedy demise of the exploitation of fossil fuels. Let's now return to Europe and move to another French-speaking country, and more precisely, to Belgium. Is fossil hydration on its deathbed? Is the title of the editorial that appeared in the Belgian newspaper EU Observer. Article's author, Dominic Eagleton of the NGO Global Witness, explains that large quantities of fossil gas are needed to produce fossil hydrogen. Fossil hydrogen is therefore a fake green energy, in that it helps gas companies stay in business even though their business is destroying the climate. There is a lot of talk about replacing Russian gas, continues the activist, who warns that this should be a temporary solution, whereas the real goal should be to switch to renewable sources. The editorial concludes with a clear roadmap on how the EU could break away from the Russian fossil fuels and at the same time fight climate change. The EU could eliminate Russian gas imports by 2025, eliminate gas completely by 2035, and to do so without making further investments in fossil hydrogen. We are at the end of our seventh episode of the podcast, The Window on the World. Before ending this week's episode, we want to remind you that the runoff of the French presidential elections will take place on Sunday. We will update you on the election result next week. Research and writing for this episode was done by Danielle Rutza. And behind the mic, it's me, your host, Gail Rago. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, take care and goodbye.